The Bible tells us that we should celebrate Holy Communion regularly, but it doesn't say how we should do it. Let's talk about how to make decisions about how to celebrate Holy Communion on this episode of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I've often been asked to preach and administer Holy Communion at worship services for a particular church that I'm unfamiliar with. I always like to be prepared so I can serve the congregation as well as I can in my message and how I serve communion. So I always ask my contact person, how do you celebrate communion? Almost always the answer is, oh, we do it the normal way. Are you okay with that? Well, that is not a helpful answer at all because there is no normal way. So actually, I've started asking, every church celebrates communion a little differently in the details, so could you please walk me through exactly how you normally do it? And I've gotten much better responses to that. So today, I'd like to go over a few of the ways that we celebrate Holy Communion and what they symbolize. The Bible doesn't say exactly how to celebrate communion, so we must find our own way to do it as church communities. And right now, I only want to talk about things outside the Bible on this episode and not about the elements themselves. I'll refer to them as bread and wine without addressing the grape juice option, which is maybe another episode for the Gospel Gumbo podcast. The first question I want to address is, how are the bread and wine presented? Usually, they're on a table in view of everyone. And here we have three basic options for each element. Option number one, the common elements. We can have one large loaf of bread, and everyone tears from this bread for themselves. This is a beautiful picture of the broken body of Jesus. As the bread is being torn, we imagine his body being broken. This can be especially powerful if the person administering the sacrament tears the bread in half while saying, this is my body broken for you. Likewise, the wine can be in a common cup and offered in a large chalice. This reminds us well of Jesus saying, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It is the cup of God's wrath that he drank, and he offers us wine. For both the bread and the wine, if we eat and drink all from the same place, it is a powerful image of our unity with each other and the communion that we have with Christ. So that's one option. Another option is individual elements. Some churches recognize some of the sanitary issues related with everyone putting their fingers on the same piece of bread and their mouths on the same cup of wine. So they have bread already in their individual pieces and individual cups of wine. Each person only touches their own bread and their own cup. I think the main value here over the common bread and cup is the potential for health concerns. And those health concerns are real concerns. But for those who practice this form of communion, you need to recognize what is lost in the spiritual imagery. The third way to do it is with individualized elements, or at least that's how I'm going to say it, individualized elements. A few churches use pre-packaged, single-serving bread wafer and wine combo. And if you haven't seen these, uh, be thankful. This is the McDonald's of Holy Communion. Uh, Think of a plastic individualized communion cup, usually with juice in it, and it doesn't have to be refrigerated. 
It is sealed on top with a plastic lid. And on top of that is a bread wafer with a sealed lid on top of that. And the entire thing is self-contained. It doesn't leak. It's easily transportable. You can carry it around in a bucket, hundreds of them. So then during the administration of Holy Communion, you everyone has one of these little uh, things, and you tear off the plastic wrapper to reveal the wafer, and you consume that. Then you can tear off the lid to the juice and drink that. The only reason I can think of to use something like this is convenience, because you can distribute these to a very large crowd very quickly, and you don't have to fear of spilling. You can transport these to remote areas very easily. The sacrifice is any sort of communion with natural things and with other brothers and sisters. Now, a skilled administrator of communion can compensate here, but this really is the McDonald's of communion elements. Okay, so those are three forms of the elements that you can use. Let's talk about how they are distributed. There are, I've got four ways that they can be distributed. Number one, when I was growing up, we sat in our pews and the leaders of the church would bring a tray of bread down the aisle and give give the tray to each row of congregants and each person would take a piece of bread and pass the tray to the next person in their pew. Then the tray of cups will be passed in the same way. The picture here is that Christ himself serves us through the church. We are passive and receive the grace of God. We don't have to do anything. He feeds us like we're at a restaurant or better yet, at a soup kitchen. We just sit there and he comes to us. Let me give you the second way. Other churches have people stand and come to a central location or maybe for larger churches, one of several central locations, and then people receive the elements in some central location. Usually this requires standing in line and waiting your turn. This reminds us that it is our responsibility to respond to God's call, to follow him, to respond to the preaching of the gospel with moving forward toward Jesus, and he gives himself to us. There are certainly both active and passive aspects to our communion with God, and different procedures here can emphasize one or the other. I hope you can see that. Thirdly, there's a kind of hybrid. I've been to churches where everyone stands at the directed time and makes a big circle around the perimeter of the worship space. For a full building, the circle might be several people deep around the outside, but they make a big ring all facing inside. And then the leaders of the church bring trays to various points in the circle, first the bread and later the wine. Someone takes the tray and serves the person next to them, and the tray is passed either clockwise around the circle or counterclockwise. So this kind of combines both the active and the passive elements, along with the picture that we all represent Christ to each other. We all represent Christ to each other. The final way I want to talk about is that if you have the individualized elements, like the communion packages, you might receive the elements as you walk into the worship space. Uh, I, this has happened. I've been to places where we do this, and uh, let me say, please don't do this. Uh, I don't see any value to it, except it is easy and it saves time. And honestly, it's not that much easier, and it doesn't save that much time, but it is another way to do it. Okay, so here's another question. When are the elements consumed? Some churches uh, consume, you consume each element on your own. And so when you take the bread, when you take the wine, you consume them immediately. Or maybe you pray, meditate, and take them when you feel that you're ready to do so. This is quite appropriate. We all come to Jesus on our own. God has children, but no grandchildren, right? 
we each have our own relationship with God. But other churches prefer to consume the elements as a group. And this, this uh, emphasizes the truth that we are all part of a community. Communion should emphasize that in some way. We are brothers and sisters, a family. And this is the family meal. Remember that this is the New Covenant version of the Passover meal, which was in some ways a bit like our American Thanksgiving. Now, don't push that analogy too far, but what I mean is that it's a family meal, and it's for Christians. This family meal is the family of God, and Christ is our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. Some churches try to do both of these. They consume one of the elements individually and the other as a group, and I kind of like that. Now, for those who consume the elements together, there are a variety of ways to do that. You can have the entire church do it together, directed by the administrator of communion, or you can do it in small groups. Sometimes people wait in a line to come forward, and they make a small circle around the communion table, standing shoulder to shoulder with about 10 or 12 people. And then that becomes a closed circle with other people waiting in line who are outside the circle. And then the administrator uh, serves everyone in that 10 to 12 person circle, in whatever way they do that, and each person can consume individually, or maybe they do it all together, but this allows for a communal feel in an intimate setting that allows for special words to be spoken and heard to help us reflect on the spiritual nature of the meal. Occasionally, I've seen actual full meals as part of the worship service, and specific people at each table of the tables where people are eating then are sort of many administrators of communion, and they direct just their table in the eating and drinking of the communion elements. I don't know that this is ordinary for anyone, and I, I think it would require some serious preparation, but I think if it's done well, it can be really beautiful and meaningful. There is a tricky balance here between intimacy and being part of something larger than yourself. Both of those things are powerful parts of the Lord's Supper, and they are nearly impossible to convey at the same time. But they're both important for us to convey. One more balance or tension that I want you to know about. In high liturgy churches, they tend to emphasize the transcendence of God, His holiness, His sovereignty. And in response, our obedience, our humility, our loyalty to His kingship. Here, the administrator of communion is always a person in a significant role in the church, ordained, a priest, a bishop, a pastor. And so that person represents Christ. He or she speaks the word of God and invites us to the holy table of communion in the name of Jesus. This is like an an official ambassador of a nation speaking on behalf of the president or the prime minister. You treat that person with special respect when they are operating in their official role, and they will treat you as if they were the person that they represent. These ministers often wear robes or other special clothing to designate that they are acting in this official capacity. And when they take the special clothing off, they are no longer acting in that capacity. There is something very valuable to this. Truly, Christ himself offers his body and his blood to us. And just as the bread and wine symbolize his body and blood, the administrator of communion speaks his words on his behalf, and we are welcomed by Christ himself when the administrator welcomes us. This is not something to take lightly. Right now, as I'm recording this, my pastor is a great friend of mine. 
We've done all sorts of silly things together. We've gotten into trouble together, and we've argued and fought. We've enjoyed each other tremendously. But when he welcomes me to the table of the Lord Jesus, speaking on behalf of God, and gives me the body and blood of Jesus, I treat him quite differently. He is the king, the prophet, the priest of God, and I need to use my body, my attitude, my voice to respond to him appropriately. This is not the time to be silly or to ask him what time we're meeting for drinks tonight. Now, honestly, the danger with this way of doing communion is that it can become so formalized that we focus so much on the formality and not on the relationship of grace, not on the glory of meeting with the king of creation, which is the whole point. If we focus on getting things right and feeling superior to those who don't, instead of on humility and obedience, which is the main value here, then we have lost it completely. Now, the other way to go is with low liturgy churches, and they tend to emphasize the egalitarian family of God. We are all brothers and sisters, and this is a family meal. Even at a family meal, someone presides like mom or dad, and that's going to be the administrator. Jesus calls us friends. He calls us brothers and sisters. And that's a different relationship than the relationship of a sovereign king to his subjects. Hugs and laughter are in order at the family's celebration table. Care and concern are appropriate too. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we cry with those who cry. For those who come from a high liturgy church background, this sort of approach to worship and the Lord's Supper can feel actually quite disrespectful and flippant. But at its best, a low liturgy approach to the Lord's Supper allows people to be honest about how they feel and what they think and where they are, and they receive the support that they need. There's not much room for that in the high liturgy communion service, hardly any room at all. There is much more connection with each other in a low liturgy communion service. But the danger here is that this often becomes actually actually disrespectful and flippant where we focus on what we like and what makes us feel good, what feels natural, instead of actually communing with each other and with God. It becomes more like a snack break, a chance to stretch your legs and get another cup of coffee while you wait, instead of a true means of grace. Another way to think about this tension is that Holy Communion is communion with both God and others, the horizontal relationship and the vertical relationship. The high church tends to emphasize the vertical relationship with God, and the low church tends to emphasize the horizontal relationship with each other. And truly, Holy Communion is about both of those things. I actually recommend that church leaders rotate and switch the way they do communion regularly to emphasize the different aspects of its meaning. Holy Communion is a multifaceted jewel. And if we get stuck on, this is the normal way then we miss the beauties found through the other symbols. However you do communion, please remember that your brothers and sisters are not crazy or stupid for doing it a different way than you. Let's all grow together and learn from each other. I hope you are able to worship this week with God's people, and if you do, I hope that you'll have the immeasurable privilege to meet with God and His people in Holy Communion. And if you do, I hope you'll have a better understanding of how the format of that administration of communion is trying to help you better understand the beauties of it. 
and give your heart, your mind, your body, your soul to that particular lesson. Go with it. Learn from it. Be changed by it. And love God and His people evermore. Hey there, amazing listeners of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I've got something special to share with you today. First off, if you are loving what you hear, do me a solid and spread the word. Tell a friend, a colleague, or even a neighbor about the podcast. It's the best way to help me grow and reach more people like you. And don't forget to hit the follow button yourself so you never miss an episode. Next up, I would love to hear from you. Your feedback means the world to me. Take a moment to rate and review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews will help others to discover the soulful goodness of the Gospel Gumbo podcast. And then, if you've got suggestions or corrections or you just want to say hi, shoot me an email. I am all ears, and I can't wait to hear from you. And now for something really exciting. I've set up a special opportunity for our dedicated listeners. If you've ever wished that you could binge on more Gospel Gumbo goodness without any interruptions, well, now you can For just $5, you can unlock access to 10 bonus episodes and enjoy all the episodes ad-free. Just click on the link in the show notes to get started. Now, why is there an emphasis on downloads, feedback, and support? It's simple. The more love I receive from you all, the sooner I can roll out Season 2. So, thanks for being part of the Gospel Gumbo family. Your support keeps me going.